Rufus, tell me what an overlay Jeff. is. Tell me what an overlay, an overlay is. is when you have the best of it. Okay. Well, when well, explain to me what an overlay is. When when the prize pool is greater than the amount people spend on entries into a contest. So our friends at Splash Sports, SplashSports.com are giving us another opportunity for an overlay. There's a Splash 50K PGA one and done there where it's a $100 entry fee, but there's a pretty big overlay. And one and dones go across 32 tournaments. So it's going to be across the entire golf season and you pick one player each week and you get their prize winnings which is pretty fun i'm going to join this and i think you'll join it and then maybe we'll do a, be doing other ones but splash sports is really revolutionizing the way that we do office pools and survivor and pick them and all the things that we kind of love as kids growing up and now um, you can do it with them and they facilitate everything for you so go to splashsports.com and if you check in the show notes we'll give you the exact url to go to this too. And Rufus and I will tweet this out because it's easier than um, reading it out. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. It's a week 18 podcast, Rufus. That's exciting, right? It is. It feels like the season just began, doesn't it? Normally, I feel like I have very little to talk to you about besides your dating life and your, you know, nutritional, what, how that's going and your Fitness. exercise. But, but I, I feel like I have a couple things to talk to you about. One, let's talk about, let's get the college game out of, out of our system. Um, okay. Did you watch the college games? I watched the first one or... I'll say I watched parts of the first one. Like I watched the entirety of the like second half, basically. I did not watch the second one because I had an early morning flight the next day. So I got to bed early. Okay. Well, so that won't be very interesting to talk to you about, but let's talk a little bit about, did you, have you looked at any of the numbers, reviewed any of the numbers from those games? I haven't. I mean, I've, I've, do you have, do you, can you at least give us a line on the, on what you believe the national championship game should be? Yeah, I can do that. A line based on without having made the adjustments. So we'll obviously be adjusting Washington up and probably, I would assume, adjust Michigan down a touch. Does that seem fair to you? Seems fair. Okay. To, to that, we need Jeopardy music playing while I do this or sound of typing. I think the interesting thing for me, and I'll just filibuster until you get to this, is this idea of whether Michigan, you know, like you get the FSU guys like Bud on there talking about how Michigan and Alabama basically proved with their performance that FSU should have been in there and could have been competitive with them. And it's, it's, uh, okay. So, well, okay. Wait, wait. I mean, Washington showed that having a really good quarterback is worth a lot. So maybe in a way it didn't prove it. It disproved it. Penix is so good. I mean, it's He's not so just good. Penix. It's those wide receivers. They're just like, it, they're just so fun to watch. I'm rooting for them against Michigan. I have to say. You have honest. to root for them. I agree. Okay. So, okay. What do you make the lines four and a half? I think right now. And it, I, I think it's going to go to Michigan would be my guess. It's got to, I, I think it, I mean, I, I saw, I saw that and I was like, that seems light. Yeah. I would make it going into going into 
the semifinals, I would have made it Michigan minus where's my number? Uh nine. Wow. Michigan minus nine. Is wow. this gonna be another one of those Georgia TCU opportunities? Wow. Wow. I think the difference is well, I don't know. I mean, what's the reason that we think Washington is continues to be so underrated analytically? It's because the game states or something. I, I was like reading why this is in terms of just their, you know, like their performance. Obviously, the season against bad teams hasn't been great and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but, let's let's go uh, through it, right? Okay, they beat Oregon at home and then beat them again. Each time they won by three. Neutral. They mm-hmm. won at Oregon State by two. They beat Washington State at home by three. They beat Utah at home by seven. They won at USC by 10. At Stanford, won by nine. They beat Arizona State by eight, 15 to seven. At Arizona, they won by seven, 31 to 24. Their one blowout in conference was against Cal. They won 59, 32. Yeah, out of conference, let's see, they played Boise, won in a blowout, blew out Tulsa, blew out Michigan State on the road. But basically, they played everybody close in conference. And the Pac-12 has been yeah. stronger than people expected, but so are you going to? Are you going to? They've, they've gotten it done in crunch time. They've clearly that's and we talked about. Or we're going to talk about with Kevin a little bit about skills that are predictive versus explanatory and what's repeatable. And and I think the the Vikings showed from last year to this year that success in close games doesn't really that doesn't carry over from year to year, and it's not very predictive. But the Vikings were eleven and zero last year, I believe, in one score games, and six and eight this year. So, are you going to bet Michigan? Um, based on those numbers, probably, yeah. I'm going to run. I'll, I'll run. I'll update my numbers. That might drop. But there's with, almost no but, way that you're not showing incredible value in Michigan. Probably not. Correct. And they're not. They're not adjusting. It's not. I adjusting definitely won't be Washington. I, I definitely won't be backing Washington. And the funny That's thing so is, sad. what's funny though, Jeff, is that my numbers were basically on market for the two semifinal games. So does that show a little bit of a recency bias? Like I okay, I made I made I made Michigan a two point four point favorite against Alabama. And I made Texas minus four and a half against Washington. No, I mean I think it's definitely it's a recency bias by the market, and it's also like a Washington love fest, Penix love fest. Like people you watch that team and you're just like, you know, I'm gonna bet on. I'm going to believe this team will win until proven otherwise. Like, cause you know, that again, like those highly leveraged 60 yard passes that are making it through by an inch probably aren't repeatable over time against a better defense. So, but he's been doing it all season. So maybe they are repeatable over time. And Michigan's defense so. is really, really good. Yeah. Wow. Do that you think really we sucks. could, do you think we could see a Georgia TCU type result? Like just a Michigan blowout. Because no. both those games were really good games. I mean, I didn't see the second one, but I saw the highlights of, of the end. And wow. Well, I mean, I would, you, if you didn't see what happened, Washington actually dominated that game. Yeah. Even though what happened at the end, but the reason, the only reason Washington ended up getting, I'm sorry, Texas ended up getting that much time to come back is because a Washington player got hurt and they got, ended up getting 40 more seconds than they should have gotten, which was, an incredibly weird rule that that's the case but it is the case and like someone was saying like it's a bad incentive because like you're incentivized to try to hurt the other team if you want to get more time if you know well i think i think they need to make the rule so that 
a little more nuanced there because otherwise if, if you had it the other way, it would, it would create an equally bad incentive. No, Fake the injuries. other way you, the other way you get it, actually the other way you only get a 10 second runoff, right? So it's 10 seconds versus 30 seconds, right? The other way, if you fake an injury, you do get a runoff, right? If you, the situation was an offensive player got injured for Washington. Yes. With a moving clock and they stopped the clock. Yes. There was no runoff. And so, so my point, the, well, so, so the team, the team that gets the choice of the runoff said no runoff, right? Oh, Obviously. okay. So it's the Texas other team gets, gets the choice of the runoff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, we, we have, we have, we have protection in place for faking an injury. We don't have one for a real injury that is unfair to the team that got the injury. Yeah. Okay. Let's bring in Kevin Cole from Unexpected Points Fame, which is a Substack. Do you want to give him a commercial, Rufus? No, I was going to say he has a Substack called Unexpected Points. So you should check it out. Yeah. And also, we should talk about how this podcast is brought to you by SplashSports.com, which is actually cool because they're actually doing a one and done contest starting going into the, and there's going to be an overlay for it going into the century, which is like kind of the first big tournament of this year, which is exciting. Well, the first um, tournament at all we'll... this year. And it starts tomorrow, yeah. Jeff, tomorrow. Know, that's that exciting. is Thursday, January 4th. The golf season is back. And we Without will talk to you guys all again on the other side. And we'll talk a little bit about the uh, actual contest that we might try try to drive people to. Anyway, so we'll, let's bring Kevin, and then we'll talk to you guys all about week 18 on the other side. We now welcome in Kevin Cole to the Bet the Process podcast. This is like our annual tradition of me um, apologizing to Kevin for like being at the Sloan Analytics Conference and re refusing to talk to him and looking for the prettiest girl in the room rather than talking to Kevin. Anyways, Kevin, hopefully we're over that. At least you are maybe, but I feel still no, so badly. It, it was it wasn't refusing to talk to me. It was it was talking to me while keeping a keen eye aware of the fact that, you know, an upgrade may be possible at any potential moment. <laughs> and hey, when you're at Sloan, you know, and you're you're used to being in the in the guest lounge with Stephen A. Smith and, you know, Nate Silver and uh Billy Bean and whoever else is in there, you know, I, I'd imagine that would happen if you're talking to me. Well, and the thing is, I mean, Jeff does the same thing with this podcast and somehow, you know, I feel like he's looking for a better, a better co-host, but you know, luckily I've made it six years. Oh, Rufus, that's so sad. Now that I know that your, your new friends listen to my, our podcast, I have to be nicer to you because I don't want you to, I don't want your new friends to think I'm not nice to you. I, that's the last thing I want. Um, well, Sloan is like an interesting animal right because it is it is a weird especially those those outer areas right there's always people walking around and and it's a very distracting environment i feel like at times like that's not the place to have a substantive conversation like you got to go sit somewhere else so in my defense most people think i'm a dick so in my defense i'm not a dick i'm just trying very no, hard but i'll to... say that like that is a unique environment well maybe not unique but that's an environment where almost every single conversation involves one person who's like very happy and engaged to be in this conversation with this other person who's of maybe of a higher like status or whatever you want to say. And then the other person who's maybe trying to get into a different conversation with someone at a higher status to them until you work your way up to like President Obama or something like that, where he's he's not looking necessarily for anybody else. But until that point, then then everyone's in that sort of relation, that sort of dynamic. It's just, it's, it's not unique to Sloan though. That's the thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's what networking is. Right. And it's what conferences yeah. is uh, un unfortunately. And so 
what's funny about conferences broadly is if you are someone that needs to network at a conference, you're probably not going to have an ability to network. And then once you are able to network at a conference, you don't really want to go to it anymore. So it's one of those weird dynamics of so life um, where, you know, you can't take it with you. That's the, that's the long story of it. Okay. So Kevin, thanks for joining us. Going to talk some NFL. We've been very themed around NFL because there's only one college football game left. What uh, do you think about the NFC going forward broadly? You've been talking a lot about Jalen Hurts. And now that we're in a situation where we have both number one seeds established, you know, who would you, I guess the question is, who would you pick as the team? Like if you could have one team right now to win the Super Bowl at even money against everyone else, who would you pick? So are we excluding uh, you said about the NFC here, so you're excluding the. No, no, the 40- I, I took a step back, right? I'm I'm not good at this hosting thing, and as I thought <laughs> about it more, the better question is really around what what team, and and I'm thinking it'll be one team, so that will lead us to the NFC, but maybe it won't, yeah. and that'll lead us to a, an even broader question. So we can go wherever you want. No, yeah, no, yeah, but it would still be the 49ers. So I guess I guess that would be the the question, right? Is whether or not the Ravens are the the best team in the NFL, which seems like will be a universal declaration on different media power rankings right now after taking down the 49ers and Dolphins in back-to-back weeks in pretty convincing fashion. But um, at least my number still still points to the 49ers as being consistently the better team, definitely a tier above offensively, which is going to matter a lot more uh, than defense. It will matter about 50% more than defense for my numbers going forward. Okay, so... interesting. His Rufus for, for, for Massey Peabody, the Ravens, um, the Ravens leapfrog San Francisco. I feel like but you guys that, have, have been high on, on the, on the Ravens for, for years. We have, I mean, I think maybe it's, maybe it's loyalty to Baltimore organizations. I don't know, but the Ravens, it, it is interesting how they built that team and, and with the new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin and, and just what Eric DeCosta has done with like, I mean, the depth that team has too, is just, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's an elite team, but it's also really deep. So they're not as fragile to injury with the exception of like Lamar Jackson. Rufus name dropping three actual names within an analysis is that's an upset right there. Um, Okay. Let's, let's go back to this though. Rufus, you have Baltimore rated higher than the Niners, but if you put them into a simulator, would you still have them, you know, that the power rankings are one thing, but the path is a whole different animal, right? Isn't that right. one of the reasons that we believe the Niners are a better bet to win the Super Bowl? Right. And and honestly, it's like one in one A. We have Baltimore is just a half point better than San Francisco. And I have not run the Sims yet this week because to be honest, it's running things on the simulator this week. The innovated simulator is slightly problematic just because of the week 18 stuff and the fact that which we'll get into the incentives, the fact that, um, you know, we don't expect to see Lamar Jackson or Brock Purdy or Christian McCaffrey. Well, Christian McCaffrey due to injury, but um, those teams have nothing to play for. And, you know, so you have some weird situations where we can't just plug in our power ratings and go, go, go. All right. Well, let's leave week 18 alone because Kevin said he hasn't looked at that a ton yet. So let's go back to this NFC then. If we dive further into the NFC, obviously we have, well, how many teams that we think realistically pose a threat to the 49ers? Uh, realistically, I'd say three. 
So the the, the are... Cowboys, the Eagles, and the and the Lions. As I mean, I still have the Lions as, as posing a threat. So what do you think about the Eagles recent decline? Is that real? Are we seeing a what is do we have any and again, like I think one of the fascinating things about your work is it is you know very analytically based, not narrative based, not what you're watching on the field based, et cetera. So what what do you you know kind of how do you think about the Eagles' recent performance from an analytical standpoint compared to where they were? And, and the Eagles are a team we've talked about a lot just because our numbers, you know, it does the tush push and their success there make them an underrated team because analytical systems don't expect going forward that they would be so successful in those highly leveraged um, situations. Or you know, what do you what do you make of that? I think that the Eagles are kind of more the second half Eagles when they're, you know, collapse, quote unquote collapse in the, in the second half is, is a more similar team to who they were in the first half, probably than, than most people recognize. It's just, they kind of slid through on some, some lucky results, some plays that happened to be game defining in, in certain areas or some higher variance plays going their way, but kind of all season long, they've been a strong but not the strongest offensive team. And they've been kind of a poor defensive team. It's just gotten a little bit worse on, on defense down the stretch here. Um, so when it comes to the Eagles though, like I, I had some information I was putting out there recently about their offense. Cause I don't know, people seem to, a lot of, refle- a lot of stuff seems to get reflected onto the offense just based upon whether or not teams, teams are winning. And I just don't think that's really been the problem in the second half, but some people are saying the offense is broken and, and things like that. And I, I just don't think that's the case. Can I, can I ask um, to dive into some nitty gritty a little bit here? Your methodology is largely based on EPA, right? Correct. That's, and so EPA would not dock the Eagles for being so good on these fourth and one, third and one plays because it is grading it based on the outcome of that play. And so, I mean, Jeff, yeah, yeah, it if, would not. Like, yeah, I mean, I have an element of, of success rate also being part of that. So like a, a blended sort of formula. So in that way it would, because those, those fourth and one plays are like, they show up on the top 10 most impactful plays for EPA, whether you make it or not in any yep. given game. So those will be given less weight as just a singular play in the success rate formula. Yeah. That, that's always my issue with EPA. It's, it's, it's great explanatorily, but like you end up like high leverage plays end up having huge weights when in reality we don't, I wouldn't expect that those plays matter more predictively. Correct. That's the whole nature of the problem with like analytics that are based on highly correlated events versus highly causal events. Right. No, I don't know what Jeff no. just said. You don't, you didn't understand what I mean? Not really. No, I mean, I think like when you, if you base an analytical system based on success in golf, right, you would probably look at putting as a very highly correlated event to winning, but it is not a very highly predictive event, meaning like, you know, one of the areas that we found. Yeah. Explanatory versus. Yeah. Yes. Right. And their problem is there are, there are always things in life. In, in sports that are highly explanatory, meaning like turnovers, but are very unpredictive going forward, right? And so as opposed to predictive, not going forward. Um, okay, so depending on who you're going back is, to this, right? Just kidding. True. Okay, so how do we think then about the Cowboys 
compared to the Eagles? Are we now believers that the Cowboys are a bigger threat to the Niners than the Eagles? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they are at this point. I mean, it's basically looking like they could obviously win the division now too. So depending upon how all the seating shakes out and everything else, um, there isn't really an advantage there as far as home versus away in that first round of the playoffs. And yeah, I have them as being a better team. I have them being better offensively. So they're really like one of the top tier offensive teams for, for me. And their defense is probably a bit overstated from the fact the strength of schedule advantages that they've had a lot this year, um, but still really, really good against the pass. It, it just all depends on how you want to play out this pass versus run phenomenon. What could happen in the playoffs where you're not going to have these blowouts where they were just they were stomping on teams like they were earlier this year. Those sorts of things where they're built for, you know, the playoffs and their and, and the ability for the Bills or other teams to run all over them like we saw a couple weeks ago from Buffalo. I, I would I, I would discount that somewhat, though. I think people you have too big of overreactions to particular games. So I, I think they're stronger on both sides of the balls ball than the Eagles right now. I mean, part of the running issue, we talked about this last week is this Jonathan Hankins issue, right? Because ultimately he's seems like he's a pretty influential in the running game and he should be back theoretically, like he's been out, but he should be back for the playoffs. I'm, I'm assuming that's why they've been resting him. Are, are you, do you not believe it's he's as big an impact and they are a team that will struggle against the run, even when he comes back? No, I, I think they're just going to struggle. They might struggle somewhat, but not as as big of a deal. I guess I just wouldn't – I don't read too much into what happens in games. I mean, I think a good – like a, w one circumstance that I saw that sticks out in my, my mind for some reasons. I remember – I guess it was just in last year's playoffs that the Bengals had a bunch of offensive line injuries – before the game where they went into Buffalo and everyone was saying, Oh, look out, you know, they're, they're not gonna be able to protect Joe Burrow. This is going to be a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, well, you know, they'll probably be slightly worse with their protection, but we'll see what happens. And then they go into Buffalo. Joe Burrow's not touched in the, the entire time they play well. And then the next week I saw some people who I won't name um, who were saying, well, I guess it doesn't matter that the that the Bengals have all these offensive line injuries. And I thought to myself, well, that's probably not true either. Like, just because they had this one game, what what's going to happen? So, you know, I, I would look at it like, like if you lost a somewhat valuable piece of your team, but only one piece, what does that mean? Um, I do think you can get to a different level when we're talking about a bunch of players, multiple players, all weakening one particular uh, you know, unit of of the team. But for one player, it's going to be, okay, how much is a good player worth? It's going to be a marginal difference in, in, in that direction, probably. This is like that deterministic versus probabilistic thing, right? Like a little bit, like we all think deterministically about what happened or results versus like the fact that it's probably somewhere in the middle. I was going to ask, do you think that there's any difference between cluster injuries at different positions, positions that in essence do the attacking versus positions that, can be attacked i.e offensive lineman is like a it's an offensive position but it can be exposed by other teams whereas a wide receiver is is something you can game plan around right you're not they're they're doing the attacking if you will yeah there might be something to that i guess the 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 framing that's been used by i mean probably by a bunch of people but i see it with eric eager and some others quite a bit as they talk about like a strong link versus a weak link sort of system so same thing you're saying so the weak link system I guess theoretically would be 
the cornerbacks or defensive coverage. If you have one bad quarterback, then you can exploit them. Whereas if you have one bad wide receiver, they're just like, you know, running wind sprints or something down the field. And it doesn't really matter that they're, that they're not doing things. So there probably, there probably is, is something to that. Although if we're talking about cluster injuries, then I guess you can make the argument that relative to a single injury, it would be worse for the strong link system, maybe in some sort of way. I don't know. It's Or, or does it make the weaker weak link system? I don't know. It, it plays in all kinds of different directions there. It's interesting. And it's, it's amazing how little, um how little we can actually quantify these things because we just don't have that much uh, data. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of boring, but you know, the, the, the like, well, leaning against the tide sort of thing or whatever the which direction the wind is blowing, I think is generally right. Maybe it's, it's kind of pedantic and, and boring to be doing so, but it just seems like that'll forever be the edge against like common perception, not against betting markets necessarily, because we're all, we're all in the, in the same boat when it comes to that. But the media narratives are always going to be overblown. Yeah. They're always going to be overblown. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing exciting about like, for instance, for the bills this year, I had them ranked, I think second to start the year. I think I have them ranked second now, which I believe they might even be. I believe they're third. Wow, probably they're ahead of the they're ahead of the Ravens. No, I'm sorry, I'm ready. I'm ready third now. I, I, that, that's that's incorrect. But I had I, them I second third for, as well. I had I had them second for quite a long time, and maybe they went down to fourth at some point or something like that. But if yeah, if you look at media rankings, they were probably outside of the top ten when they when they were struggling, and that's just the way it's going to go. Because of the record, they were like six and yeah. six with a plus 150 score differential or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, because they don't, they don't, you know, they don't perform when it matters, basically. Uh -huh. And that's comes down to almost everything. The MVP discussions, the Justin Field discussions, now that he's he has winning moments now. And it's like, well, yeah, it's easier to have winning moments if you're if your defense is playing really well than it is when your defense is giving up uh, 30 points a game. Do we want to talk about talk a little bit about Justin Fields? Justin then? Fields because, and the sure. Bears decision. Yeah. Well, what do yeah, we I think mean, they should do? I mean, should they well, keep Justin Fields or should they? Should, and then I want to talk about week 18 with them, but we, we can talk about that later. So it depends guys. on what they get offered, right? Mm, I mean, keep him or not depends upon, might depend upon what they get offered. Although, so what is it? What's well, his contract trade situation? Trade the first pick or not, right? That's the question. His contract let's, situation. First, let's talk about is, what's his contract situation. Next year is his final year of oh. his rookie contract. But they have to decide this season whether or not they're going to exercise the fifth year option, which is fully guaranteed now. Like you can't just cancel out of it after the fourth year, which you could in the past. So, and, and what is that option for? Ballpark? I don't know, 25 million, 20, something okay, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so it's a step up. Um, he's got a pretty decent sized contract, but he doesn't have like a number one overall pick contract, but it's going to be a big jump up. I think it was number 10, 11, 11 pick um, in the draft. So that's make that complicates it a little bit with keeping them. It's two different things. Number one, if there is some sort of locker room narrative that people are going to play into, if you're going to have, you know, the rookie come in and, and not play when Justin Fields starts to play well, or he plays poorly, you know, Justin Fields is still there. Maybe for headaches purposes, they'll want to just, you know, uh, send them off like they did for, uh, for Josh Rosen with the Cardinals, but even from a contract situation, like I don't know what upside fields brings you unless you really think you're going to see enough from him next year to turn his career around and you want to give him a huge extension. And that just seems more difficult than it would be if he was like going into his second or third year of his, of his rookie deal. I mean, isn't it kind of like, just like spelling that out, right. It seems kind of like a no brainer. Ultimately, if you're the bears, yeah. 
and you want to win. I a mean, Super it is Bowl a no-brainer. Wanna, that's why I don't. Yeah, that's why I don't yeah, understand wanna, what's going on right now. Yeah, he the the level of play that Fields would have to get to for you to justify believing that it's better to have him on a non-rookie contract during this like because we'll all admit the bears have done some good moves and they're in a good situation where like they're probably ready to win now if they have the right quarterback in there and whatnot and so you know if you get a rookie that's the right rookie you got yourself a five-year window now again this is the classic like you're probably creating more upside and therefore more variance and therefore more chance to win a championship but also much more of a chance to create a stinker and an opportunity to basically be a bottom feeder again. Right. If they make the wrong, if they make the Bryce decision, right. They're, 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 they're screwed. So it's, yeah. it's ultimately, it's funny because like, I I've been listening like mainstream media on this, like to Simmons on this. And like, I was like, Oh yeah, they should totally keep Justin Fields because they know what they have with him and all this kind of stuff. And now that we've boiled it back down to things that matter, like contracts, right. That seems pretty easy. Yeah, but I, I think even if you even if you don't think about it from from a contract perspective, well, okay, well let, let's let's frame it this way. So the Bears have gone on this run. Um, what are they five and two or something like that recently? And I don't think the Bears defense is that good. But if you look again, we're talking about explanatory. What what's happened? Right, not predictive. They've been the best defense in the NFL by EPA per play out of nowhere. I mean, a lot of its opponents and other stuff since on this run that they've had. So like next year, they're not going to be the best defense in the NFL, right? So you're going to have a little bit of a headwind there. If people are going to, whatever the results are next year, and let's say you bring in a new quarterback, people are going to have this expectation as if, look at what you had fields, you went five and two, and now you have someone else. So you're going to have a little bit of that sort of perspective headwind. But I do think, I don't want to underplay the fact that like fields has just not been good. You know, he has not been good. Last year he was good. He was above. He was average, good sure. if you if you like, expect him to run for sixty yards scrambles ten times a year, then then he then he's he's going to be good. But and you that's don't believe that's not going to happen. Yeah, but, his, but running is a big part of his game. I mean, think about true like a Lamar. Jackson, but he's back. He's right? back to like rookie year rushing this year. The type of production oh. and that's and that's still really really good. It's just I, not off the charts you know, we've never seen before type of rushing efficiency that he had efficiency, last year. but he's still his rookie year. He, he averaged six rushes a game. Now he, he was like 11 last year and he's 10 this year. So I think he's still more of last year. I mean, yes, he's his yards per attempts down from 7.1 to 5.4, which, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at it as, this, so I, I look at this where I just break it down by, I just look at it as part as a function of total plays. Everything is a function of total plays just to mm -hmm. kind of like get a mix of what you're looking at there. So as a function of all of his total plays, his rushing production, rushing EPA that he had on rush on design runs and scrambles doubled from, from his rookie year to his, to his second year. And now it's gone back down to exactly what it was in his rookie year. So I guess as a, as a rookie, he was pretty efficient running. He was even more yeah. efficient than, than he is this year running the ball. But, you know, it's just he was never going to sustain what he had last year. That was the that was the problem rushing the ball. He was not good passing and he's not good passing this year either. So what he has done during this stretch, and this is another thing that you can really illustrate by breaking out the components is his sacks and his interceptions are way down Sa that sacks in particular, were just an absolute killer for him in the past. So now he he's just like last year. Yeah. Now he's just kind of like slightly bad as opposed to being awful in sacks and and again, if you look at the art, like this actually matches up with some of the narrative stuff, because supposedly coming out of the injury, uh, Iberflus told him 
he had this like 200, 200 or two zero zero, which was two touchdowns, zero interceptions, zero sacks. That's what he wants him to do every game. And that's been a winning formula if you have the best defense in the NFL. So like you can go five and two with Justin Fields if you have the best defense in the NFL and he's playing this way. That does not seem like let's tie our franchise to this going forward type of situation. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, because sacks are, are, I know as you you agree, a, mostly a quarterback statistic and it's it's a skill and it's hard to learn, but we have seen some quarterbacks um, improve throughout their career at it. Like Tom Brady has, you know, was elite there. Peyton Manning. I mean, the best quarterbacks are, have generally been the quarterbacks that get sacked the least frequently as well. Yeah, no, like, you can Aaron control Rogers it. You can got sacked a ton. It. Aaron Rodgers got sacked a ton early in his career. Yeah, I mean, and, I think the two big ones. Down if, drastically. You want, if you want to talk about two, like, huge ones, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, I think he even led the NFL in sack percentage or sack yards early in his career. Remember, he used to hold on to the ball and have, yeah. like, three guys draped all over him and do all that stuff. Which, Later on in his career, he could, not, he could not get rid of the ball fast enough. Like, it was out of his hands in no time at all. He took all those injuries – uh, Andrew Luck is another one. He took a bunch of sacks, big sack yardage, not as big as Roethlisberger early in his career. Again, injuries, other things happen, and he started to get rid of the ball quickly. So Fields can do this, but the thing is, his passing production is like really bad when he has not been w- during these last few weeks when he's not been taking sacks. So then, what's the, what's the point? You know, I, well, I just and, don't see the upside. And with, with some of those guys you named before, I mean, and we didn't even name Russell Wilson, someone who's been a very good quarterback over the course of his career. Um, taking it as a whole, but as someone who's, who gets sacked above an above average amount, but he's if if he were to get rid of the ball earlier and take fewer sacks, he wouldn't make a lot of those plays he makes downfield. I think that's the same thing with Roethlisberger early yeah. in his career. We're seeing right? with Wilson this year a little bit with yeah. with, uh, with Sean Payton and his like three yard a dot and just <laughs> not not trying to do it. Yeah, so there's some some quarterbacks well, who can adjust. And like still be proficient. Like it's not a fundamental part of their passing game to hold on to the ball. And there are some who cannot, and most cannot. And some great ones like Luck or Roethlisberger can. Like they 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 were doing more of a calculated thing with the sacks early yeah. in their career. Burrow probably even to a degree too is doing a little bit of a calculated thing with with his sacks. I don't think Justin Fields is doing a calculated thing with his sacks. I think he just can't execute certain passing concepts without holding on to the ball a, a very long time. Well, I think I think the trade-off there is getting sacked more also was allowing some of those bigger scrambles. Yeah, yeah. sacks and scrambles out. are definitely correlated. Like because yeah. every failed scramble is a sack, right? A sack. You know, like like when people always question scramble. <laughs> value add be like oh look at how much uh, scrambling adds scramble value more. and it's like yeah you're only counting you're literally only counting the the plays that you're gaining yards on not all the ones where you may try to scramble and take a sack or something bad happens that's a really it's, really good point yeah it's a pretty fascinating conversation because like even in the roethlisberger uh luck examples you wonder how much of players deciding to take fewer sacks is them just not wanting to get hurt at some level, right? Like as you get older in your career, do you get smarter? Maybe some people do, but maybe you just like not want to get hit because you're getting older and you don't want to get injured. And you're realizing that self-preservation is really important. And then well, think, think about the kind Peyton of goes Manning back. sacks, by the way, Jeff, like remember Peyton Manning sacks, he would basically, he was like, I can't do anything. I'm going to slide down and let someone touch me. Yeah, they would just they would just fall yeah, down. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he, he I, and Eli so I'm gonna, were the master of those. Yeah, 
I'm I'm gonna you know obviously this is gonna sound really stupid. It's like a mea culpa, but like I didn't I never thought about this whole concept of sacks and how important it is. I mean, obviously I know that it's very important, but I never thought like, oh, it's such a quarterback stat, et cetera. And even just like this idea, this target metrics idea, right? That you're talking about with Eberflus and and Fields. It's like target metrics are only helpful if they actually like lead to the right behavior. And you're talking about in in the in the and jo- Justin Field example, like it's not necessarily leading to the right behavior because he's not even reading things quick enough to actually complete the ball. Like he's just throwing the ball away. So do we have a, it, you know, like obviously the old quarterback ranking didn't even have sacks in it. QBR does at some level. Is there a, what is the right way for us then to evaluate quarterbacks? And then how do we, how do we think about the best quarterbacks right now going forward? You know, as we think about with an, an eye to the Super Bowl, right? You let's talk about Lamar versus Purdy. Let's talk about Jalen Goff, all these guys. Like, how do we think let's get beyond Justin Fields and what do sacks and you know scrambles and all that's gonna tell us about the quarterbacks remaining? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think sacks is, is important. So yeah, the whole sacks are a QB stat sort of discussion. I think and this is also comes to expected points added in EPA and some critiques or 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 what's missing from that versus individual stats in, in a way is that it's like it's just it's just a matter of perspective. I mean, we say sacks are a quarterback stat because when you look at it, they're mostly about the quarterback. But guess what? Like every every stat, every quarterback stat is only mostly about the quarterback, and like nothing is totally about the quarterback. It's just it's more difficult for us to realize that when it comes to sacks, because we can clearly see offensive linemen and, and the cameras on them too, right? So you can clearly see offensive linemen getting beat or pass rushers beating the the offensive lineman. And that makes it seem more like it's, you know, it's not a quarterback stat versus other stats. So I guess that would be number. So sacks are, are like probably just as much a quarterback stat as a lot of the other things that we're seeing or, or year over year go with the quarterback just as much as, as some others. Cause when you have wide, wide receivers are obviously I'm a huge influence on all these other stats. And then when it comes to expected points added and why I like to use expected points added, is there's like a new thing now where, well, not a new thing, but there's a thing now where a lot of the responses, and again, this is Twitter, so, you know, we're not exactly getting like, you know, the most thoughtful critiques on here, but they're saying, well, EPA is a team stat. And it's like, yeah, no, it, it's a team stat. Um, passing yards, as a team stat. I mean, passing touchdowns, that's a team stat. Interceptions, that's a team stat. Sacks. That's a team stat. Like you, these things, none of these things happen without like they're all describing something that happens on the field where one particular player may be the the face of the play a little bit more than others. So the reason I like to use EPA is just because it does the best job of measuring the team value on that play. And then you are making assumptions that the quarterback has the biggest influence on that value. And then it's what you do beyond that that matters. But you can't say that it's any different than any other sort of stat because they are all team stats. Where are you on the Purdy situation? Like, is he elite? Is he, should he have been an MVP category? Is he a system quarterback? Tell us, enlighten us. Um. Well, I don't know if I would use like maybe like system quarterback or not. We all have different de- definitions of what that sort of stuff means. I mean, what I've tried to do, and this is what I would want to engage people on, right? Is if I'm saying 
EPA per play is this, and you're saying, well, this is that's wrong because of it's missing this, it's missing this. Yeah, it's it's definitely missing stuff, right? Like all these stats are missing stuff. I just, you know, it is a team stat. It's not measuring the, but you have to try to make adjustments. So like I have an adjusted number that I put together for, for quarterbacks and it's not comprehensive, but you know, I'm trying where it looks at the location of the target, how much uh, yards after catch value you would expect upon that location and how much you're actually getting is one adjustment. There's another adjustment for for drop. So what's the expected drop rate based upon the target location? Uh, what's your expected EPA that you would earn if it was caught versus it not being caught? And then it makes adjustment for that. It makes an adjustment for charted turnover or interception-worthy plays, data that I'm getting from FTN data, uh, makes adjustments for fumble recoveries, it makes adjustments for strength of schedule, and so on and so forth. So like Purdy is ahead of everyone in his actual like EPA so far this season uh, pretty substantially, but he also has the largest negative adjustment. It's just, where do you end up after that? Like trying to actually quantify that. So after you adjust for that, yeah, I have him being slightly lower than someone like Josh Allen as far as his total adjustment, but he has a lot fewer plays. They're not using him as much this year, which I feel like it's fair to to discount quarterback play if they're not being relied upon as, as much. But at least I'm like trying to work through some of these things. I feel like if people think that Purdy's not a good quarterback, they'll say, well, he has these advantages, so then we can just dismiss him. But it's like, no, let's try to figure out how much those advantages are worth. Got it. Rufus, you got anything else for Kevin? No, I think that, should I mean, I thought about, that was, should we talk about the Detroit really Lions? <laughs> yeah, let's and do their it. two point decision. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that was um, a two something. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I think in his mind, and maybe this is me giving like a little bit too much credit to Dan Campbell. I do think overtime is a bad idea for them there because I think, you know, in this time when every minute that you have players in the field in highly leveraged situations, it's, it's bad to some degree. You know, I don't, I don't mind him going for two. Obviously, what's the, what's the difference in success rate on a two-point conversion from the, say, whatever, three to the, what, an eight or whatever? What's, do we have those a numbers? Lot. But, we, I mean, we don't have two-point conversions. What's the difference? Eight, but we could, we don't have two-point, I mean, how many two-point yeah, conversions? Yeah, fourth whatever it is, right? Eight, but if you have fourth and goal from the eight. I mean, I can yeah. try to look it up. I mean, fourth and goal from the eight is going to be, you know, worse than your normal, um, Eight yards, eight to yard go, conversion sure. because you're you're up against the the end zone there, um, or, or you could be like Booger McFarlane and say it's it's easier because you have more space. Oh, you have to, more space to work with. Yeah, that's why I like bad field <laughs> position space. is amazing because they the, the defense with, but... has more coverage to more um, field to cover. Well, so sorry, it's it's the two, it's the two and the seven, right? Because it's the two point conversion starts at the two. Yeah, yeah so we, right. Kevin... two the seven, and then they moved back halfway. Um, based upon that so uh let me try and look this up but but before i look this up, i will say i'll say Mm -hmm. that um so dan campbell was interviewed after the game and what he said was before the drive started he told his team we score we go for two that's what we're gonna do and so that was his explanation after the game for why he continued to to go for it so I don't think there was like great 3D, you know, chess going on in his in his head for overtime and everything else. I think he just thought, and, and normally if you have like fewer than 30 seconds left, you could say, okay, that's fine. You can you, you can you can you can go for it in those sort of situations. So the time wasn't bad, so I don't think there was a lot going on. What, what I wish people would have asked him. Now I probably wouldn't have the courage to to have done it in that situation because you know it's the referee decision and he was pissed off. And he's a very large gentleman. Um, 
but I would have said like, okay, well, what if it was like the 10, you know, like, <laughs> like what's the tipping point? What if it was the 12? Was it the 15? Like, obviously you can't just say that was the plan. So we're going to do it. Right. Like there's some point at which you wouldn't have done. And I want to know what that point is because, because then he'll have to actually think, oh yeah, like we have to actually think about whether or not it's it's good in this situation. It's not just we go for it no matter what. And that seemed to be the mentality he was on. And obviously he thought being at the seven did not require thinking that that he might have to re, you know, he he was just he was he was he was still full green at that point. Well, maybe he had a certain play also for it. I mean, clearly they oh, had a like, play. Yeah, for they had that play. Initially, they did that have first that play. play. But, they did have the first play, but yeah, after that, and then some people said maybe he was just trying to draw him off sides, and that didn't seem to be the, be the case because they like it was a simultaneous almost offsides and go for it. Okay, according to Ben Baldwin, if you want to go by Ben Baldwin numbers too, uh, go for two success rate of 63. Well, that's pretty, it seems kind of high. Uh, is it, oh, no, wait, no, no, I'm reading the wrong thing. Success rate of 50% from the two, so that that makes that makes sense. Oh, sorry, I did mess something with up. With their glorious then... play, it's probably higher. Yeah. <laughs> if, you also, if, you also, if you also intentionally confuse the refs, is that higher or lower? You see what I did there? God, that ref thing. I always defend the refs. I'm like the worst. You when you talk about guys who are good at like pumping up their brands and like leaning into whatever the outrage is. I'm always the guy who's, who's like trying to defend the refs after Adam Schefter is trying to get this guy fired. Um, okay. And then according to this, actually, this is not even correct. It doesn't have the correct thing. Cause it still says 50%. He must've just like hard coded in 50% into uh two point conversions or something. So um, yeah, it would have been. But what's interesting more. is it's, it's interesting is everyone's been irate about this decision. But do people even have the data to know that it's that much worse from the seven? I mean, I mean yeah, we, have, we know it's we know it worse. Is, but... I think we know okay. it's well, what, what is it? I mean, wait, while Kevin looks it up, I'll give him a second. No, he's not um, looking it up anymore. He's giving up. Oh, he has. Okay. Well, I want to ask, would Dan this Campbell... This is why people decisions... don't use analytics because it's hard, right? Like you think Dan Campbell's going to be sitting at his Excel spreadsheet trying to figure out what how much worse it is? He's going to be like... No, we're still doing it. I told him it's being in the drive. Hey, I mean, it. I, 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 if I was Dan Campbell, though, I probably have this information ready to go for the game. But yeah, I don't have it ready to go right in front of me. But let me look it up. Okay. While you look it up, would Dan Campbell have gone for it to in that situation had they not clinched the division, basically? Like, this game isn't particularly high leverage. I mean, I guess, I guess it is, given the fact that they were tied with the Niners for the best record in the NFC going into that game is I believe, but at the same time, the stakes were not as high as, you know, if they would, if they had not clinched the division in a way. And so to Jeff's point of, of having an overtime and more chance of an injury, right? Like given the position they were in, in the standings, you know, did that influence the decision? Okay. I have, I see, I have a higher number. I have more like 60% from the two. So I have 35% versus 60% for the, oh. for the two numbers. Okay. But we can say that the, it drops 30% approximately. 25% if you want to be more approximate, but yeah. Wait, oh, you said 35 <laughs> and 65? Uh, oh, 35 60. and 60. Okay. <laughs> so 25%. I mean, <laughs> yeah. If you want to... But I mean, like in the moment though, like Hashtag this is, is when... that more approximate or more precise. I think that's the more precise, precise, I guess. But even, yeah. I mean, if we're, I mean, if we're going by it's I, I'd approximate by fives, I guess, rather than by, by tens on that one. Um, but I mean, you can see from his perspective though, like if you're not, you're like, ah, 35, whatever, let's just go, let's just, let's just do it. Um, 
Yeah, I, I do think that played into his mind. Some people were saying they, did, they didn't think that they had nothing to play for. I don't know. Like, if they would have won the game with not without knowing future results, I think they would have had something like a 20% chance of getting the number one seed. Now, this is without knowing the future results. So, you know. But still, it's not huge leverage there. It's not huge, but coaches fight for everything, man. Like coaches don't give up until it's like dead, dead. You know, like half of but they a tenth. They don't know what they're fighting for half of the time, right? That's that's true. I want to say that I don't know which way is the right way to fight. I think at least coaches making the wrong decision in an aggressive manner is better than making the wrong decision in a conservative manner, just because most coaches are too or, or overly conservative, and I think it it portends better for future decision making right and dan campbell has been aggressive and, and been one of the best in-game uh analytics coaches this and uh, i know at least he was last year i think he's been this year right kevin I don't uh know. yeah he's been pretty good so well here's what i'll say and it's so because it's not about like knowing the numbers as much as it's about being like no let's be aggressive and if you just do that by default you're gonna be you're gonna be better because everybody else is too conservative uh, i mean i'll ag- I'll agree and disagree. I mean, I think like, yeah, generally, if you're throwing darts in at the aggressive board versus the conservative board, you're going to be better. But I think these coaches work on the basis of like regret aversion rather than risk aversion. So there are certain situations and this would be one of the situations because you see coaches go for two to win games when there's like 45 seconds left to go. Yeah, and you dumb. shouldn't be doing it like because they must feel they're going to regret it more if they don't do it here and they go to overtime. You see coaches in overtime be more aggressive at the end to maybe win rather than just take a tie when they should take a tie or something in those sort of situations. So there are certain situations. So I think they're so for this particular situation actually leans into more of a coachy thing to do, which is just go for it at the end. Because you're gonna re- you're gonna regret not going for it more, and you just want it to be over, basically at that point. So yeah. All right, Kevin, thanks for joining us. As always, um, I apologize for my behavior at Sloan ten <laughs> yeah. years ago. It but, worked uh, though. I did guilt you into inviting me to the to the the dinner, which I could not attend last year. So hopefully that guilt is still lingering and will continue for future uh, invitations. Okay. Uh, have a great playoffs and. Um, we'll look forward to having you again on again soon. All right. Thanks guys. So that was our interview with Kevin Cole. Um, always a great, I, I, I thought we started slow, but then when we got into all the stuff around quarterback sacks, which probably most of our listeners already understand, but for me was like a, a fun conversation. Let's talk about week 18 Rufus, because week 18 is an interesting week because do you think that the market can become inefficient in week 18 because of how much people overvalue this idea of, I think there is this overvaluing the team, a team's ability or need to win and their ability to be play over their expectation because they need to win. And the idea that teams that are out of it, but like really have no incentive, just quit. Because in both cases, I think historically we've seen, the teams that need to win don't necessarily play any better than they would have if they didn't need to win. And teams that have nothing to play for, meaning like they're not actually resting players. It's a, they're out of it. There's no incentive for them to win or lose, but just the normal incentive, they tend to play better than expectations um, often because they're professionals and they play. See, I, I mean, I don't think they play. But, so I agree on the first. I don't think teams 
play better because no, I'm, it's I'm a just saying this, this the latter the latter what the doesn't market play believes. any better or yeah. worse they they play they play they play the same level they play to I what think, they're yeah so what's interesting is there is a small effect in terms of like a team being out of it that i've found when added to massey peabody rankings like late in the season that does add a little bit of value so i i think it's going to come from the fact that some teams will quit while other teams won't mm-hmm. and so if you can identify those teams. And I think that's what people try to identify those teams, but I think you're going to get yourself in more trouble doing that. Cause I think it's hard. It, Got it. I think so for you everyone think you predict from a, correctly. From a, from a probabilistic predict- standpoint, you, you think there should be some level of discount because some in this continuum of teams, some of them will quit. So yeah, there I should think- be some discount. Well, okay. Let's think about the last game of the season. A lot of these teams do have their bags are packed. They're ready to go. They're thinking about vacation afterwards. I I do think that there is a possibility that some teams aren't as much mentally there and it's in terms of their preparation. And, but again, for the most part, they do play pretty close to expectation. So the effect is not, it's the effect is not as big as the market believes it is. Okay. Let's take some games in particular. Obviously, the the Saturday game, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. That one's really difficult. Pittsburgh yeah, I mean, is that, minus three and a half. Baltimore, right. we don't even know who's going to play. And well, on and if on. if you thought Baltimore was full strength with Lamar Jackson, that line would be, according to my numbers, two touchdowns. So, so it's like a seventeen or eighteen point difference, which is really interesting to think about where that line was when Baltimore played Pittsburgh earlier in the year too, right? Remember, I think. I picked Baltimore minus four and everybody was like, and they Pittsburgh covered, but the whole narrative between these teams is like, it's always a close game. Like Tomlin knows how to okay. blah, blah, blah. So let's move over to the other Saturday game, which is actually a very normal game. It's okay. Indiana at home, Indianapolis at home. It opened more like Indianapolis minus two. Now it's Houston minus one. Obviously a move through zero isn't a huge deal, but I, when I immediately saw this line, thought it was going to move to Houston. And I was like, oh, I kind of like Houston. And then I was like looking at your numbers last night. And now it sort of seems to make sense that this is, if it moves much more towards Houston, Indianapolis is going to be a strong play here. Yeah. I mean, I, I make the number Indy minus two. So, I mean, at the same time, like Houston is a team that. What does that have to get to? What's that? Go ahead. Well, I'm I'm not going to play it regardless. I just haven't been betting NFL sides. No, I know you but... don't play NFL, but like, where where would like if you were playing, what would you what would you where would you bet that if it got to Houston minus two? Yeah, I'd probably take it at Houston minus two, or so I take Indy plus you two. Take Indy. But yeah, it's interesting that Houston Houston's a team that that started in a way at a massive at a massive disadvantage in the Massey Peabody ratings and in just about everybody's priors. Because we didn't expect much right, of them because they got a rookie quarterback and yeah, well, and, and generally priors. Think about how you know last year they weren't good. You have a new head coach, but you have more uncertainty around them with a new quarterback and new coach. And well, so would you? So how about if you? How about if can you run those without priors? Um, I can't right now. It's not. I don't. I don't have it okay. built to run that way. But but what what but I can do and what what, what, Kate, what Kate is actually priors, right. Cade messaged me yesterday and wants to put out one of these old graphics that we used to do for the Wall Street Journal with game grades by week, just a visual data visualization. So th- that'll be pretty interesting to see. Um, we we actually the way to look at it would be to basically look at Houston's average game grade 
relative to Indianapolis is. So I could definitely do that. I might even okay. be able to do it right now. All right. Well, let's, let's move on quickly from that. I, I think it's interesting because like, as, as I talk to you more about it, like just under, I think one of the things with these week 18 lines is understanding them is such an important part of it. Right. And ultimately like the understanding that Houston is being bogged down by priors. And so if you really think fundamentally these games of the season are more predictive than their priors, which they probably are, this line may be closer to correct than, than anything that incorporates priors. Well, if you think the priors are wrong for a team, then yes. But this is a game where motivation doesn't come into play or anything like that. All right, that's what I'm saying. All right, so let's move on. Cleveland Cincy is very similar to that Baltimore game. I'm sure you have that way off, and that's going to be one where you got to predict who's going to play. But does it really matter quarterback for Cleveland? I think it does. You you must love Flacco. He's Uh, old and white. I don't love him, but... Okay, Carolina... Uh, this is, this is one, right. And this line's already moved last Wait, night. By the way, Tampa I just want minus. you to know there's no ethnic or racial component to my, um, quarterback ratings. Okay. Tampa minus five and a half. This is what it was last night against Carolina in Carolina. Now it's Tampa minus four and a half. I think this is going to continue to move down. What Wait, do you mean? this line? Tampa. So Tampa has a lot, all the incentive. I know, but I, I guess I think like the smart people, are hip to this idea and are going to move, move this line down. But what would you make this line? What, what do you make? What does Matthew Peabody make this line? 7.3 like all year. So Tampa minus 7.3. So interesting. Yeah. And so, and this is one where you, the narrative we were saying we were talking about would have claimed that Tampa would have been overvalued here yet. Massey Peabody right. saying they're undervalued and the line movement is going the other way. So maybe that narrative Maybe doesn't people are overcompensating for that narrative. Yeah. Maybe the, the limit doesn't exist. Okay. Let's move on to New England and the Jets. New England is minus one and a half, and the Jets, what do you make that line? I mean, this is there's like no motivation one way or the other, right? Like trying to figure out this motivation with the idea that Belichick may be gone or the fact that the New England has like a 13 game winning streak against the Jets. So maybe the Jets really want to win or who knows? New England minus two and a half. Okay. Detroit minus three against Minnesota. Detroit marginal stuff to play for. Minnesota probably really sure, just have a what do you make to play this for. Line? Minnesota's yeah. out of it now, right? So yeah. Um seven. Hmm. So I think okay. I think Detroit doesn't have that much to play for here. They're getting okay, they're hosting they're hosting a playoff game regardless. I think they they don't want anybody to get hurt, clearly. Tennessee. Oh, but five and a half. It all. De- I mean, it depends on who starts for Minnesota. Also, I mean, as of yesterday, O'Connell had said that all three quarterbacks could start. Basically, he hadn't decided. <laughs> That's an interesting place to be. He he seems like a good coach, but this whole quarter is he just like screwed? I wouldn't. In the have, I wouldn't have benched Dobbs as quickly as he did. There's something just... about Dobbs that people see as he plays more that causes you not to like him. I have a feeling it's like a very odd situation. Yeah. But yeah, I would agree with you. Like it doesn't, didn't make sense. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville minus five and a half on the road against Tennessee. Tennessee got nothing to play for, but no reason to rest. Jacksonville has everything to play for. Has a lot to play for. Assuming Trevor Lawrence plays, I make the line minus two and a half. All right. So this is one. And that's that's actually after docking 
the Tennessee ba- like adding in the stuff based on record and incentives. Like it would be minus one point six before that. So this is a, this is a banger, right? This is a game that you know our theory would tell you bet Tennessee, bet Tennessee all day. Yeah, I'm assuming Tannehill no. starts the, also. What's the difference Over between Levis. Tannehill and Levis for you? I don't think very huge. I can see what I had. I can see what I had them last year, last week with. Um, I think I'm probably going to think they're slightly better with Tannehill though. Okay, and then we got New Orleans minus the three over Atlanta. Both of them is Atlanta still has a shot, right, to be in this? Or they no, they're they're toast. They they're lost toast. last week. Yeah, they they lost to the Bears. Okay, yeah. By the so, way, I I have I have Tannehill is worth a point over Levis. So should so theoretically there should be value on Atlanta here. There should be value on Atlanta because well, New Orleans has everything to play for. And Atlanta has right. nothing Atlanta to play for. Um, but I'm guessing because you. But love the thing New is, Orleans I've been low on Atlanta all year. I've been low on them all Orleans, year, right? And I've been high in New Orleans, and so I make the line minus five and a half. Right. I mean, in the old days, <clears throat> when you used to bet on the NFL, if you saw something like that, and you're like, "Well, all the motivation should be with New Orleans," and anyways, and I have an edge. Wouldn't that be one that you? Yeah, wouldn't that be one you'd play for sure? I generally wouldn't see a line like that where one team had all the motivation and I liked them in week 18. What do you see it Although, now? But that's because so week 18 you. was the playoffs in the past. But what? I mean, mm-hmm. week 17. All right. What about Dallas minus 13 and a half against Washington? Washington, obviously out of it. Dallas needs to win. Yeah, that's one. Um, number two. So I, I make that line minus 8.8 Dallas. It's a lot of value on Washington. Yeah, I don't think Washington is uh, as bad as it's interesting. Like I don't think Washington is nearly as bad as the record indicates. They're like two points maybe worse Brissette, than Steelers, basically. Do you like Brissett better than Howell or do you not have an opinion? Um, I would well actually they're they're about one and the same because last week I thought Brissett was gonna be starting and their rating actually was 0.21 points worse than the week before. And actually I had Brissett, yeah, I had Brissett slightly worse than Howell. Okay, let's go to Chargers. Maybe that's like one that no one knows who's going to play. Vegas minus two and a half, two teams that don't really care. Yeah, that's a. What do you make the Vegas Denver line? uh, Minus one and a half. Okay, who cares there? San Francisco, LA, kind of a battle of who. There's a lot of who cares. No. San Francisco has nothing to play for, clearly. They're resting. Philly minus five and a half against the Giants. Philly doesn't have a a ton to play for, right? Because if the. Cowboys win, which they're likely going to win. Philly doesn't have a lot to play for, right? I think that might be the reason the line is as low as it is. What is? What do you make that line? What do you think that line should be? Minus nine and a half. Okay. Green Bay minus three against Chicago. An interesting game just because Green Bay has everything to play for. Chicago has nothing to play for. I have that line basically right where it is. I have it minus three and a quarter. So surprising that line... But Chicago has been a kind of a darling team, I think, down the stretch of of pro betters. Uh, Seattle, Arizona. Seattle has still has something to play for, right? They still have a chance to make the playoffs, and Arizona obviously doesn't. What do you make that line? Well, yeah, I mean, do the, does Seattle still after that loss to Pittsburgh? I think they still have a small chance to make it. Okay, uh, so I make that line minus uh, minus three and a half. Okay. I'm going to fact check so, you here, though, on Seattle. I mean, the NFL website has an awesome 
Yeah, okay, 27. Yeah, they're still alive. You're right, 27% according to ESPN's FBI. All right, and then the final game, which I think could be a a banger, is Buffalo minus three against Miami. Yeah, with basically the AFC, Hmm. AFC East, and maybe the number two seed on the line, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I I make it Miami minus one. And you've been high on Buffalo all year, so... I have been. That seems like that honestly seems like a big overreaction. That seems like there's a quite a bit of value on Miami's um, really interesting. And the fact that they've had like, in terms of game grades, they've had like two of the top four, but then the other two of the top four were teams playing against them. So it's like, I mean, that doesn't mean they were the worst, but like Miami wasn't as bad as the other teams were good, but they have been blown out a lot by, superior teams or by good teams, I should say, I shouldn't say superior teams and then blow it and they and played bully ball and blown out inferior teams. Okay. Rufus. Um, now that we got through that. Our podcast this week was brought to you by splash sports. So they have a 50 K PGA one and done full season contest. We both, Oh, it's a hundred dollar entry fee, but it's 50 K. Yeah. And right now there's only 216 entries out of 556. 216 so, and it closes tomorrow yes oh my god how many times can how, i enter how many are you how, I, i'm gonna max enter for sure <laughs> all right well why don't you take a look at it and um anyways and i don't even need to know about golf with that kind of overlay yeah i'm gonna get into this also i just have um, to tie okay. up my money for a year but or for a golf season that's okay yeah okay we'll we'll tweet this out i can beat the interest rate. For you to tweet this out Tweet this out when you when you get a when you get an actual link to link to, but we'll tweet this out and we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. As I mentioned, this episode was brought to you by Splash Sports. You must be 21 years of age or older in Massachusetts, Iowa, Arizona, and Louisiana. 19 years of age or older in Alabama, or 18 years of age of older in other states to enter into a paid fantasy contest. Rufus Peabody Crunching all the numbers Massey Peabody rankings We're looking for the edge Analytically driven Crunching all the numbers